Well, what is going on, everybody? How you guys doing tonight? All right. Well, hey, listen, I'm glad you guys are here. Glad you guys came and hung out with us. I feel so distant. Nick, we need to make notes to move the chairs closer when we set up next week. It just, they feel so far away. And the lights are only set for right here because Kaylee doesn't want to go up there and fix them. It's fine. I'll stay up here where I belong. But anyway, we're glad you guys are here. We're glad you guys are hanging out with us tonight. Uh, there's a lot going on in town, and you chose to be here. And honestly, that just means the world to me uh, that you would come and hang out with us. Uh, so, man, hopefully you leave today encouraged, you leave challenged, you leave um, just pushed to be a better you, uh, be a better follower of Jesus. Um, but anyway, tonight we're starting a new series called Satisfied. And satisfied is a, is a funny word. Um, it's, it's a word that gets thrown around in our culture a lot. Um, there's like, if you, if you ever like pay attention to the news, like satisfaction ratings are like all the rage, especially like come election season. Like how many guys last, this time last year were tired of hearing about like presidential satisfaction ratings and like approval ratings and all that kind of stuff. Like just like you hate that word. It gets thrown around so much. And here's the thing, like to be satisfied, it is, it is a desire of so many people. To have like what you want and to have everything that you feel that you need or you desire is something that a lot of people really want to have and want to be able to say about themselves that they are satisfied with what they have. But in a recent study, it was done post-COVID, um, so this, these are accurate and up-to-date numbers, um, there 85% of Americans, right, are not satisfied with their jobs, 85% of Americans are not satisfied with their jobs. That means there's 85% of the people, adults, that go to work every day and wish they could be doing something else. That's, that's pretty like startling numbers when you really start to think about it. Like 85% when you think, like, oh, wow, that's really not that many. Well, it, let's just say there's 100 adults in front of you only 15 of those adults enjoy what they do and are satisfied in what they do. That's a lot. And if you go in even deeper outside of the world, like outside of the work world, it says that 80% of Americans are overall satisfied with their lives. So like 80% of the people, which is much better, like that's a little more encouraging. You're like, all right, 80% feel like they're satisfied with where they are in life, with what they have, what they don't have, all that kind of stuff. All right. But... In that same study, they used some extra verbiage, and the, the next question was, are you very satisfied with your life? And the number drastically changed. You see, the number went from like 80% that were satisfied with their life to less than 50% that were very satisfied. All that to say that there are tons of people around in this world, and probably in this room, and like those that are sitting right here, and those that might be watching us online, like... There are people out there that desire satisfaction, that desire like contentment in the world with the things that they have. They want to be satisfied, but they're just not getting what they want. And this world like has made it that, that thing where, where you, you want that, you need to have you, like they, the, that tells you to drive for it. It tells you to go after it, get what you want. Like if you want it, go get it, do whatever it takes to get it. And that culture drives it home. You know, it's, it's that idea of chasing paper, right? Because so many of us equivalent, uh, equate satisfaction to the, our bank accounts, right? And how much money we have and how much we can do and how much we can pay for and the, the nice cars that we can have, the nice shoes 
shoes that we can have, all these things. And like we, we equate satisfaction with wealth. And we, the American dream of, of chasing that dream job and getting a spouse, a house, and, and a dog, and 2.4 kids, right? Like, we, we all are, are chasing that. Like, if we could just get to that, we'll be satisfied. But here's the thing, guys. The more that you d- gain, the more that you realize that it's never enough. In the wise words of the, um, the theologian known as the Notorious B.I.G., um, also known as Biggie Smalls, for those of you that are up to date with the 90s hip-hop scene and the gangster rap scene of the early 90s, um, more money equals more problems. And it, it's just, the more that you get, the more, the more dissatisfaction you're going to have. And, and it's a common theme, and you see it all throughout life, that like, you're always going to want more. You're never going to have enough. That desire and that taste for more is never going to be satisfied. Yet we continue to do it. Every single one of us in this room, guys, is guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. We want more. We want the bigger and better. We want the faster. We want the newest things. We want this. We want that. We're never satisfied with what we have. And here's the thing. Like our culture has driven this home too. It's like don't ever be satisfied. Strive for more. Keep going. Keep getting better. Keep gaining. Keep growing. Invest. Buy more Dogecoin. Let it sit there and grow. Like all these things. Like we have all these things that are are pushing us and challenging us. And the world and the culture is telling us to never be satisfied. Keep striving for more. But here's the thing, guys, I need you to understand. When we run that thought process, when we run that, that ideology through Scripture and through the filter of the Bible and through what God wants us for us, that idea of never be satisfied and keep gaining more and keep striving for more is very unbiblical. And this whole series, guys, we're going to be talking about the idea of what it means to truly be content with where you are and what you have. Throughout this series, we're going to be looking at this idea that, that, that um, God is enough. If there's anything you hear throughout this entire series is that phrase, and I hope that it sticks with you, that no matter what you're going through, no matter where you are, no matter what you're dealing with, God is enough. And that that theme of God is enough is all throughout Scripture. I mean, you can look throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Paul writes about it a lot, and we're going to look at a couple of Paul's writings throughout this series. Tonight, we're going to start with one of them. But like, even in the Old Testament, you look at the story of Job. If you're familiar with that story, we covered it a couple of weeks ago. couple, I'm out, it's like two years ago now, but we, we've talked about Job and the idea that like Job lost everything, everything he had, his physical possessions, his family, his health, yet God was enough. So I ask you this question as we get ready to start this series, do you truly believe that God is enough? But then also, are you living as if? God is enough. Because I think there's a difference between like saying you believe it and like in your heart going, all right, yeah, I can see that. Or in your mind being like, no, I can, that, anyway, God is like big enough. God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Like you can sing that song and like feel good about it and like you're ready to go. 
but are you living your life in such a way that it reflects that emotion, that it reflects that belief that God truly is enough? Tonight, if you have your Bibles, open up to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to be tonight. We're, we're not really going to go anywhere else. We're going to stay in like 10 verses in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4 verses 10 through 20. So go ahead and open it up, flip it open. I guess technically that's 11 verses, but whatever. Um, and, and open it up. And you're probably familiar with one of those verses that's in there. Thanks, Steph Curry. All right. Um, you guys all know Philippians 4.13, right? Anybody want to quote it? Any like Awana Bible drill kids out there that know that one? They got it memorized? Let me hear it. And it, oh, you guys, like, listen, the Awana leaders are crying right now that you don't know this verse. What is it? Let me hear it. Right, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? That is a verse that we, get, we hear quoted all over the place, very, very popular. It's printed on T-shirts. Um, it's, and, but can I just be honest with you? Like, it is the most used out-of-context verse, like, in the New Testament. Like, I need you to understand the context of that verse. And that verse is actually uh, referring to the fact that God is enough and God can provide everything for you no matter what situation you're going through. People use it as like this superhero verse, right? They're like, I can do all things through Christ. Ah, Well, guess what? If you're 5'1 and your vertical leap is measured in sh like sheets of paper, you're not making it to the NBA. Like, I can do all things through Christ. It gives me strength. Guess what? Not going to work for you, all right? It's just not the way God works. It's not the way that that verse is meant to be taken. Um, like, and it's just this idea, like, if you're standing on the edge of a cliff and you start flapping your wing, like, your arms, like, their wings, like a bird, and, like, you're like, I can do all things through Christ, and you jump, guess what? You ain't flying, <laughs> You're going to become a stain on a rock at the bottom. Like, it's just how it works. Like, it, it, we try to, like, take this verse out of context. But in reality, when you look at the whole context of this verse, guys, you need to understand that it is simply talking about be content with where you are and know that God's got it. Know that God is enough. Be content that he will provide for you. He will give you what you need. And that's what we want to focus on tonight. Because listen, this, this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, the church in Philippi, all right, you need to understand where Paul was when he wrote this. Paul is writing this from prison. He's imprisoned at this point. He's been captured for his belief in Jesus, for his stance in Jesus, and he's writing this letter to a church encouraging them, challenging them to be content with what they have while he is in prison himself. We need to understand context before we get into things. We need to understand what, where he's writing from and what he's saying here because when we understand that and we read what we're about to read, it should change things a little bit for you. You should understand that Paul is writing from a spot of suffering. Paul is writing from a spot that nobody really wants to be in. I have never met a person and an individual that wakes up that morning and says, you know what, I want to go to prison today. <laughs> like nobody does, like that's nobody's dream. Like no little five-year-old like at kindergarten on the first day of school when they fill out that survey writes like, I want to go to prison. Yay. Like, it's just not how it works. Like, nobody dreams about that. Nobody, like, and this is Paul. Paul is sitting 
in a jail cell behind bars, maybe in shackles. I don't know. He's probably hungry. It's probably not the greatest accommodations. And he's writing a letter of encouragement to a church. He's writing a letter of encouragement to a church and telling them, hey, listen, be content with where you are. Be content with what you have. Do as I have done. Let's read. Excuse me, Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse number 10, it says this. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was so kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory, Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is finishing up a letter. You could read the first four chapters too, like the first three and a half chapters of this before he gets to this, but basically he's wrapping up his letter and he's saying, listen, I appreciate you. Thank you for supporting me. Thank you for your help. Thank you for like, pouring into me and investing in me. I've learned to be content with where I am. And it's because of that that I can thrive no matter where I am. So tonight... In just the the few minutes that we have together, we're not going to be long, I promise you that. I just want to give you some things. Because I feel like Paul here, in this letter and in this uh, this specific part of the letter, he's giving us some advice. He's leading by example. Um, I am a guy who loves to be led by example. Um, I had coaches like my entire athletic career when I was like a little Pop Warner football all the way through college. Um, Like, Coaches that I responded to well were the ones that got down in it with you and were practicing with you and showing you how to do it rather than like sitting in a, a chair eating a bag of chips telling you what to do. They were actually getting in there and showing you. One of my favorite basketball coaches that I had was in high school. His name was Coach Todd. And, and Coach Todd was a bigger guy. He was like my height. Uh, he was older, uh, but he was like still in really, really good shape and played basketball all the time. And like in practice, guess who my practice partner was almost every day in practice? Coach Todd. And Coach Todd beat the living daylights out of me. He played dirty. He played aggressive. He played painfully. And like there were times I would leave practice with like my eyes swollen shut and like my fingers were all like crooked because he'd be fouling me every time I touched the ball. 
And I'd be like walking out of the gym and he'd go, hey, Nelson, good practice today. <laughs> and like, I'd be like, yeah, it was a good practice. But you know what? Come game time, I was ready to ball. I was ready to be aggressive. I was ready to, to throw down. I was ready to be that guy that he needed me to be in the paint. I was the biggest guy on the court, so I needed to play solid. I needed to play aggressively. I needed to play physical. He was preparing me. He was, he was showing me what to do by doing it to me <laughs> in practice. And I feel like Paul here, as he's writing to this church in, in Philippi, it could very easily be written to us too. It can be very easily written to us and taken by us as, as, as encouragement and challenge to do as I do, not as just as I say. And there's some truths here. There's some, some examples that, that Paul gives us. And the first one is this. If you're taking notes, man, write this down. It says this. Number one, be thankful. And I know like you were waiting for that. Because, like, Thanksgiving's around the corner, and, like, you're going to get sick and tired of hearing people say, give thanks. <laughs> like, I hate that. Like, I love Thanksgiving. Don't get me wrong. Like, I love the turkey. I love the sweet potatoes. I love the pumpkin pie. Like, I love Thanksgiving. And I love Thanksgiving season because it reminds you to reflect and be happy for what you have and all those things. But, like, man, I think I've shared this before. Like, when I was growing up, one of, like, my least favorite things was having to sit around the table and wait and nobody could eat until everybody at the table said one thing they were thankful for? You guys, ever, anybody have a tradition like that in your house? Isn't it the worst? Especially when you have like a really big family and like you always have that one grandma or cousin that wants to like give like a Shakespearean monologue like in their Thanksgiving time. You guys know who I'm talking about? Like that, par that one person. Like, and like you're just watching the mashed potatoes congeal and get harder as they're praying because like you can't, it's so sad, right? Like you're just watching and the turkey is drying out. Like you're watching it dry as they're talking and you're like, come on, zip it up, flow, I'm hungry. And, and like you, and you go through and these things and like here's the thing. When I say be thankful, I want you to understand that I'm not saying this in like a facetious way where you have to go around and say thank you to everything and like go to Chick-fil-A and say thank you just so that they have to say my pleasure. Like not those types of thankfulness. Like I'm talking genuine, heartfelt thankfulness for people that do things for you, for people that serve you, for people that are in your life, for people that God has placed in your path for a specific purpose in a specific season. That's exactly what Paul is doing here with the people in Philippi. The church of Philippi was more than just friends. It was more than just like he was an evangelist that came in and like, woohoo, here's the gospel, and then left and like never talked to him again. This church supported Paul in his ministry. This church not just supported him in prayer, not just supported him in, um, in like words and encouragement, but they supported him financially. They supported him with people. They sent people to help him. They sent resources. They sent food. They sent, they sent money so that he could continue to do what he needed to do for the sake of the gospel. And Paul here is being extremely thankful. It says in verse 10, it says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. He's like, thank you for caring about me. I give thanks for the fact that you care about where I am. You aren't, you're not giving up on me just because I'm in bar, behind bars. Thank you. 
And he goes on throughout this passage, like through verses, we won't go through them all, but through verses 14 and 18. And he, again, he just continues to say that he, he appreciates their gift. He appreciates what they've done for them. He thanks them. He has a spirit of thanksgiving in his life. If you want to be content in your life, if you want to be content with where you are and what you're doing, it starts with being thankful. Be thankful for what you have. Be thankful for where you are. Be thankful for, for what God has done for you, for the people that God has put before you. Paul's example to us, number one, be thankful. Number two, in whatever situation, be content. In whatever situation, be content. To be content, we look at verses 11 through 13, and it very simply says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I mean, it doesn't get much more black and white than that. Paul says it pretty clearly. In whatever I'm going through, the good, the bad, the, 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 the promised times or the, 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 the bleak times, be content with where you're at. Be content with, with where God has you in that moment. In verse 12, it says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. Man, Paul has been through seasons already in his ministry at this point of like seeing hundreds of people come to Jesus to being thrown in prison. Sometimes in the same day. Yet he's content. He's content with where he is because he knows who he serves. He's content in whatever season he's in because he knows he's doing what God has called him to do. Guys, I just, can I be like honest and real with you guys for a minute? Can I just tell you that ministry sometimes is really hard? Like, I know you think, like, I only work on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, and, like, the rest of the week, I'm, like, just sitting around twiddling my thumbs, like, coming up with crazy games. And, like, that is part of my job, but it's not the only thing I do. But, like, can I just tell you that there are seasons of ministry where, like, I just don't want to go to work. There are times, there was a, a time last week where, like, Thursday of last week was probably one of the hardest days in ministry I've had in a really long time. And it wasn't just one thing. It was like one thing after another after another. And it just like all kind of happened in like a two-hour window. And guys, listen, there were moments where I was like, man, God, I don't know what you're doing. But I trust you. I'm going to be content with where you have me right now in this moment. I don't get it. I don't understand it but I'm going to trust you right now. I'm going to be content with where you have me. In every situation, in the good and the bad, in the highs and the lows, in the seasons of plenty or the seasons of hunger, in freedom or in prison, learn to be content with where you are. What about you? Are you content? Are you satisfied? No? What are you striving for? 
What is it that you're striving for that you're missing? What is it that will satisfy that? Which leads me to the last example that Paul gives us. And this is it, guys. Like, again, this is the message. Like, if I could sum up an entire message in one statement, it's right here. Ready? Trust God because he is enough. Trust God because he is enough. I think of, I go back to verse 13. I can do all things through him who, gives me, who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Whichever translation you're reading from, it all means the same thing. You could do all things through Christ who gives you strength because you realize that no matter what season you're in, no matter the good, the bad, the highs, the lows, the hill, the valley, wherever it is that you're on your journey with Christ, wherever it is, whatever season of life you're in, whether it be a season of plenty or a season of famine, like whatever it is, whatever junk you're in the midst of, God can give you the strength to get through it. That's exactly what that verse means. That he can give you the strength. He wants to give you the strength. He can empower you. He can help you. He can guide you. He can direct you. He can do it because he is enough. When you wrap your head around that truth and you understand who it is that we follow, who it is that we serve, you start to realize that you don't need anything but God. You don't need anything but him in your life. Yeah, friends are great. Like, I love my friends. I have some really strong friends. I have some solid, like, really solid relationships. But at the end, at the end of the day, God's enough. I love my family. I love my wife. I love my kids. But at the end of the day, God's enough. That's hard to say. Like, I, I read the story of Job and I struggle. I see Job lose everything. Yet he clings to God. Never once sins, never once, you know, wavers. Because he believed that God is enough. In our lives, do you truly believe that God is enough? Now I get it, man. Listen, like, Hear me when I say this. I understand. I get it, Daryl. We're a church. We're supposed to believe that God is enough. Uh, I get it. But honestly, in your life, is God truly enough? Does your life and your actions, and the things that you say, and the things that you cling to, and the desires of your heart, 
and the desires of everything that you do, all of your actions, does it point towards that statement that God is enough? Because in our culture, we're told we need so much more. We need fame, we need fortune. We need the cool clothes, we need the, we need the cool car, we need the best job. We need so many zeros in our, in our salary. We need so many things in our bank account. Like all these things are force-fed to us. But guys, I'm here to let you know that at the end of the day, none of that matters. Yeah, is it nice to have money? Absolutely. Does it eliminate a lot of stress? Yeah. Is it nice to be able to pay your bills on time? Yeah, 100%. Nothing wrong with having money. But at the end of the day, if all your money was taken away, if all of your possessions were taken away, if all of your friendships were taken away, if all of your relationships were taken away, could you truly believe that God is enough? It's the only thing we need. And I hope and I pray that it, throughout this series, as we talk about this idea, we look at scripture and that support that idea, that idea, that concept, that God is enough. It's my hope and my prayer that your heart will be open to that idea. And you'll be honest with yourself. You'll be real with yourself. You'll be honest and real and that you'll evaluate your heart. You'll evaluate your intentions. You'll evaluate your desires. And you'll truly examine what it is that your heart wants. And you'll truly cling to that truth that God is enough. You're probably going to get sick and tired of hearing me say that over the next couple of weeks. But one of the reasons I want to say it so much is because I struggle with it myself. This series is just as much preaching at my heart as it is, I hope, yours. Each and every one of us needs to understand that God is enough. I don't care what you're going through. I mean, I do care. I came out wrong doesn't matter what you're going through. God's bigger than it. doesn't matter what turmoil you're in the midst of. God's bigger than that. doesn't matter what struggle you're in the midst of, what stronghold is in your life. God's bigger than it. He's going to take care of it. He promises that he will. In whatever season you're in, be content. And know that you can do all things. You can bear all things. You can endure all things. Because the God of the universe is, in your side, is on your side. Because the God who spoke everything into existence that we see 
is the God that's standing right by your side in the midst of it. Because he's enough. You need nothing else. God is enough. As the band makes their way up to close out in the time of worship, and I just want to ask you guys, just have a moment of reflection right now. Right there in your seat. Nobody's talking, nobody's messing around. I want you to evaluate your heart. I want you to just take some time and examine right now. Examine that desire. That thought as to whether or not God is enough. Go ahead. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Just have a moment with God right now. This isn't a, a like a super difficult thing to think about. In your life, if everything else were to be taken away, would God be enough? I shared with you guys earlier this week, or last week, excuse me, had a hard day of ministry. I had a phone call with a parent of a former student. Whose student died that morning. And as I've been preparing this message and repeating that phrase to myself, God is enough, God is enough, God is enough. I try to put myself in the shoes of that parent. And I'm just being honest with you guys. I've been struggling with that idea. If I were to lose one of my kids, if I were to lose my wife, would God be enough? Would God be enough in that moment, in that moment of grief where I I was struggling and, and I was questioning, like, would I be able to just say, God, it's yours. Like, I give it to you right now. I'm just gonna follow you and trust you in this. I don't know, guys. I don't know that I could do that. So it's my prayer for myself for each and every one of you sitting in these chairs. That that would be where we land throughout this series. That no matter what, no matter what situation we're in, that God would be enough. There's nothing else we need but him.
As we stand to our feet, let me pray for us, and then we'll worship together. Let's stand. God, we, we thank you. God, we thank you for your word, how it challenges us, how it, it speaks to us, how it pushes us. Lord, how it stretches us out of our comfort zone, Lord. And I just pray right now that we would take this example that Paul has laid before us to be content in whatever situation, to know that you are enough, to know that you've got it, Lord, to know that no matter what's happening to us, no matter what the outside world is throwing upon us, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're in the midst of, that you are enough. Lord, I pray that we would be satisfied in you. Lord, that we would find our satisfaction in you. Lord, that we would find our fulfillment in you and you alone. Because you are the only thing that can quench that thirst. You are the only thing that can satisfy that desire in our hearts. No matter what we're going through, God, you are enough. We can do all things, endure all things because of the strength you give us. Because you are enough. Lord, be with us the rest of this night as we worship right now, as we sing out to you, as we respond through worship. And as we pray together here in a few moments, God, I pray that you would just work right now, right here, in our hearts and in our minds. Allow us to trust the fact that you are enough. We give the rest of this night to you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's worship together, guys.